I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Starting this morning where we left off last time in verse 13. We've reached one of the heaviest parts of the Gospel of Matthew. It's that last fateful week that we've been calling Crucial Week, also called Passion Week or Holy Week, the week that Jesus will be crucified. And we've reached the last large block of Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapters 23, 24, and 25. There's been five major blocks of Jesus' teaching as we've gone through Matthew. This is the last one, Matthew 23, 24, 25. Jesus has silenced his opponent's questions with superior questions. It was a mic drop where he was the last man standing. Everybody else was silenced. And now he has begun to warn the crowds and his disciples about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. We've heard about them through the Gospel of Matthew all along, but now he's going to get up in their face. We saw in the first 12 verses of Matthew 23 that Jesus has gotten very serious about how dangerous these religious leaders really were. They were terrible leaders. Just awful. They preached, but they didn't practice what they preach. They piled on heavy burdens on people, but they didn't lift a finger to help. They loved to be honored, but they would never humble themselves. They were the worst. And now Jesus is going to pronounce woe on them. W-O-E, not W-H-O-A. This isn't a horse thing, right? And it's not like, whoa, that's cool, right? This is W-O-E, woe. Seven times Jesus is going to say, woe to you, woe to you. And seven times he's going to give seven reasons why this woe should be pronounced on these men. It's devastating. I'm glad I wasn't there. And I would hate for Jesus to say these words of woe over me. The word woe is a word that combines condemnation, denunciation, regret, sorrow, lament, and heavy warning into one short little syllable. Woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Woe to you. Is that your picture of Jesus? For many, they they can't fit this part of Jesus into their picture of Jesus. But this is Jesus as the Bible presents him. He is the Jesus that we are learning about in the Gospel of Matthew, who we are being called to follow. He says, woe to you. Now these woes are the exact opposite of the blesseds of the Beatitudes. Do you remember the Beatitudes, the blesseds? It's actually been like a year and a half since we were in that part of Matthew together. At the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Do you remember that? And they were surprises, what he had to say. The the Greek word there was makarios. Well, the opposite of makarios, blessed, is woe. Blessed, we said, was good for you. Way to go. Way to be. Or as the Australians would say, good on you. Right? Well, these seven woes now open the last major block of Jesus' teaching. Woe to you. 
bad for you, sad for you. Alas, terrible way to go, yuck. Do you remember what word we use to kind of sum up the Beatitudes? Does anybody remember? It's a, it's a beautiful word. It means life, growth. Anybody remember? I know it's been a while. Flourishing. That's it. Flourishing. Oh, life and joy and thriving. What's the opposite of flourishing? Because that's the idea of woe. Withering? Dying? Being destroyed? Shriveling up? This, this week when I was thinking about it, I said, what's the opposite of flourishing? And I thought, cancer. It's a malignancy. These religious leaders were practicing a malignant religion. A malignant religiosity. A malignant spirituality. And Jesus was calling them out for it. If you want to know what makes Jesus mad, really mad, it is bad religion. It's religiosity. Jesus hates all sin and death, but he, he saves some of his heaviest words for very religious people. See, these were the church people. They were the most cleaned up, buttoned up, churched up people in Israel. They might not have seemed bad to us. Like if you had to look at a crowd and you say, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Often we would have instinctively said, Pharisees and scribes, White hats. Them's the good guys. But this is what Jesus had to say to them. Woe to you. He does not take any perverse pleasure in speaking like this. He doesn't do it to get his kicks or to score rhetorical points with his sick burns. We will see probably next week how he ends by just about weeping over them. In, a, in these woes, you hear lament and sorrow. But you also hear a condemnation and denunciation. Jesus tells it like it is, and it is heavy. There's no getting around that, and we shouldn't try to get around that. This is God's word for us. There are seven woes in Matthew 23. We're just going to look at the first four this morning. Lord willing, we'll do the last three and finish the chapter next week. But before we look at the first one, I want us to think a little bit more about how Jesus understood this malignancy in their religion. Jesus calls them names. You're going to see that in just a second. He's going to, he's going to do some name calling. And in this passage, he has two names that he calls them in the first four woes. He says these things over and over again. He says, hypocrites. And blind guides, or blind fools, or blind men. He hits on this word blind, blind, blind. Do you know what a hypocrite is? We don't always use that word. Sometimes we do. The Greek word, hypocrites, was, originally was an actor on the Greek stage. A play actor. You ever see those uh, like masks, you know, like the happy mask and the sad masks that the Greeks, they would wear. Like, I'm happy, I'm sad, right? So that's what, an, that's what a hypocrite is. It's an actor. 
That's not saying acting's bad. But it is saying acting something you're not in real life and pretending you are is. In other words, we would say a fake. Hypocrites are fakes. A spiritual or a religious hypocrite is someone who preaches one thing and practices another, just like Jesus said in verse 3. It's someone who pretends to be spiritual but aren't really. It's not necessarily someone who pretends they're perfect, though somebody who does that would be like that. It's just that they pretend they're real when they're not. They pretend to have something on the outside, but they don't have it on the in. They're not whole. Do you remember the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount was inside-out living, whole living? This is the opposite of that. And the blindness here is not physical blindness. There's nothing shameful about being physically blind. That's just a malady, a hard thing to live with in our broken world. Amen, Katie? Amen. No, this blindness in verses 16, 17, 19, and 24 is spiritual blindness. And that's not just a malady. That's a malignancy. It's an ignorance. It's a willful ignorance. These people are getting called out for their spiritual blindness because they are responsible for it. And worse than just being culpably blind, being culpable for being spiritually blind, these men are blind but are leading other people. Blind guides. I read this week on Facebook that a hunter got lost in the woods overnight near here. How scary that must have been. I heard they found him. Praise the Lord. But what if that guy or someone like that guy, while being completely lost, was arrogantly, presumptuously giving other lost people directions? The helicopter's out looking for them. There's search teams. And he's like, yeah, follow me, guys. Let's go. The lost leading the lost. Here's one word to sum up the blind guides. They're just plain wrong. They're fake and they're wrong. And they are the wrong leading the wrong the wrong way. They don't know what they're talking about, but they aren't going to let that stop them. You ever know anybody like that? They don't know what in the world they're talking about, but that doesn't stop them from talking. They are fake. And they're the wrong leading the wrong the wrong way. Do you see why Jesus has got so serious with these people? They're the leaders. I think it's important for us to hear these words as words of warning for us. We do not want to go there. We do not want Jesus to say these things to us or about us. Now, I don't believe He is. I don't think this is how Jesus sees us. At Lance Free Church, we're not the scribes and the Pharisees, I hope. But I don't want to ever get close. I don't want a malignant religion. I don't want to be fake or wrong or lead other people into wrongness. These folks were living the opposite of the Sermon on the Mount. They were building their house on the sand. And they were in for a big crash. Let's pray together and then listen to Jesus pronounce these words of woe. Would you pray with me? Lord, I need to hear these words so that they are not about me. 
Help me to heed them and adjust my life to repent and to refocus accordingly. Thank you for giving us this complete picture of who Jesus is and not leaving out the heavy parts or the sharp parts, but telling us everything we need to know for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Woe number one, verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. That's a picture of malignant religion, is it not? Do you see the picture? In this metaphor, there's a great big door. To the kingdom of heaven, right? It's just a metaphor. But there's this great big door to the kingdom of heaven, which, by the way, is Jesus' favorite topic to teach on, the kingdom of heaven. And there's this great big door to the kingdom of heaven. Who, by the way, is the king of the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is. Jesus is king. And Kanye apparently says amen. But in this metaphor, these guys are standing in front of the door to the kingdom of heaven and they are slamming it in people's faces. I almost came over here and slammed this door just so we would feel it. Bam! Right in their face. Now, how do they do that? How did the Pharisees slam the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces? They did it by saying to people, don't follow Jesus. He is not the king. You yourselves do not enter, not going to trust Jesus, nor will you let those enter who are trying to stay away from Jesus. Friends, that's fake and that's wrong. It's fake that they're pretending to know the way to the kingdom of heaven when it's obvious that they don't. They're like, go this way. And it's wrong because they're misleading people away from the kingdom of heaven and towards the kingdom of hell. Look at verse 15. It's the second woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Wow. That's Jesus speaking. So these people were proselytizing. But they were not evangelizing. They were making converts, but not disciples of Jesus Christ. They were making disciples of themselves. They were teaching people a false gospel of a false kingdom, a false gospel of works. You had to do, 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 perform, 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 to earn, earn, earn your way to God. But that's not how it works. 500 years ago, Martin Luther rediscovered that that's not how it works. And woe to anyone who says that it is. The false gospel leads to a false kingdom, which turns out to be the kingdom of hell. Here's the opposite, and it's what we should do. Enter the kingdom and invite others 
to enter as well. Follow King Jesus. Put your faith in King Jesus. Tell other people about King Jesus. Because King Jesus is where the life is. King Jesus is where the kingdom is. He's got an open door. Come in. There are a lot of false gospels circulating out there in the world. Cults. Other world religions. False teaching even about Christianity. And the other stories the world gives us like atheism. There is no God. Anything, anything that says that Jesus is not the king. Anything that says we shouldn't drop everything to follow him. Anything that says that we have to add our good works to earn our way. Those kinds of false gospels lead to a false kingdom. We need to reject those. And instead, we need to enter into the real kingdom by faith. And we need to hold out the kingdom to others. Come on in. Come on in. Have you come to trust in King Jesus as your king? Your king? And your rescuer? You need a king. You need rescuing. Don't listen to the voice of the Pharisees. Jesus is the real deal. And he's worth it all. Come in. Let's listen to the third woe. Here's where he breaks out the word blind. Gets it out of his toolbox and he uses it liberally. Verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. That's a strong word there. That's the word we get our word moron from. Blind fools. Which is greater? The gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he's bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater? The gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears on God's throne and by the one who sits on it. See where he's going with all this? This is Jesus. The Pharisees were blind guides who were looking for loopholes. In fact, they'd come up with a whole bunch of them. If you swore by the temple, you didn't have to keep your vow. Tricky. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, then you did. Ah, oh, you should have been paying attention. I didn't say gold. I don't pretend to understand their rationale. Jesus says it wasn't a good rationale anyway. They had come up with an elaborate system to make it sound like they were promising something, but then not actually, because of the fine print, not actually have to keep their promises. You hear how this sounds like the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 23 is kind of like the bizarro world's, uh, world of the Sermon on the Mount. It's what happens when you do the exact opposite of what King Jesus says to do. King Jesus says, let your yes 
be yes, and your no be no. King Jesus says, keep your promises. The leaders weren't keeping their promises. They would found ways to wriggle out from them. Jesus says, that's fake and wrong. If you feel the need to break a promise, ask to be released from it. Ask to be released from your obligation. But don't be saying, I had my fingers crossed the whole time. Some promises are conditional. You only keep your part if, that, if certain conditions are met. But if those conditions are met, you don't say, well, we didn't pinky swear. Oh yeah, I shook hands on that, but I never signed anything. Jesus, King Jesus kept his promises. And so his followers should too. Do you need to hear that? Sometimes we want to wiggle out, wriggle out from under our own words. The Pharisees and their fakery had made it an art form. I have the privilege of heading up the search team for the Allegheny District Superintendent. And one of the things I'm really worried about for myself, one of the things I'm really trying hard to do is to not promise anything to anybody in the process that I can't deliver. About 15 years ago, I was involved in another search process for another position, and I made the mistake of leading someone to believe they were going to get something that I could not fulfill. And I had to go back to them and apologize to this person who was a friend of another friend, and boy, I disappointed that friend. I still feel shame over the situation when I think about it. When her name comes up, it's a cautionary tale to me. King Jesus kept his promises and he pronounces woe on those who try to lie their way out of them and lead others to do the same. So they're like, here's how to get out of a promise. Let me show you. Do it this way. That's the wrong, leading the wrong in the wrong way. King Jesus is listening. Look again at what he says in verse 21. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. Who's that? God. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. That's God too. And we know that Jesus is God as well. If you open up the book of Revelation, you realize that the Lamb is now also seated on the throne. And Jesus is the Lamb. So when you and I make a promise as someone who bears the name of Christ, he hears that promise and it reflects on him if you don't keep it. In the fourth woe, Jesus combines both the hypocrite and the blind guides. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you fakes. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat 
but swallow a camel. Here he says they're both fake and wrong. They were fakes because they tithed on everything, not just what they had to, but on everything. Looks good on the outside. But they didn't care about justice and mercy and faithfulness, like to your promises. Do you remember the practice of Corban from chapter 15? It's been a few months since we were in chapter 15. Corban was one of their ways of getting out of helping their parents because they had dedicated their money to the temple. Do you remember that? Sorry, Mom and Dad. I've got, I'm giving away that money to the, to, the, the, to the church, so I can't help you with that right now. And yet they still had the use of the money. They looked all spiritual, and they were being unloving at the same time. So they're like, okay, hey, guys, it's time for church. Let's get our tithe ready. Okay, get out the scale. We need to take 10% of this mint that we grew. Okay, I got 100 pieces of mint. I think that's 10% right there. Wait, no. Okay, that's 10%. Okay, let's do the same thing with the mint. Let's do that thing with all the herbs in the garden. And then on the way to present this, there's this guy in the ditch who's been beaten up. And they're like, whoa can't help them. I've got to get to church and give my 10%. Should we help this person by the side of the road? You know that story, right? Good Samaritan? Good Samaritan? Not the good Pharisee. No, we're busy. We've got to get to worship today. We call that majoring on the minors. Caring about the wrong things. Or the right things, but caring too much about them. And not caring about the big things. So yeah, tithing is fine. But the question is, do I love justice? Do I love mercy? Do I love faithfulness? Am I real on the inside or am I just keeping up appearances and being all religious? These guys were such fakes. They weren't real where it counted. Verse 23 reminds me of Micah 6. Did did it jump in anybody else's head? Yeah? Micah 6, 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The Pharisees would say, yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. But Micah says, Micah 6, 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Point number three and last. Major on the majors. Get your priorities right. Don't take your cues from the religious Pharisees. They were so concerned with their rule-making and their rule-keeping that they missed loving people and loving God. They had the wrong priorities. They had the wrong focus. I have a lot of examples in my mind, but you probably have a lot in yours. These folks were the wrong, leading the wrong in the wrong way. I love the wordplay of Jesus in verse 24, but I... I would hate for it to be said of me. 
you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. By the way, gnat and camel sound alike in the, in the Greek. It's a fun little play on words that you can't tell in the, in the English. The picture is ridiculous, right? Jesus says that these guys will use a cloth to strain out the tiniest little bug out of their drink. Do you ever get a, like a bug in your drink? You're camping and... Ew, right? You're like, okay, get that out. Some of you guys, I know, some of you teenage boys are like, oh yeah, more protein. Go, 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 go. Yeah. Now he's not saying there's anything wrong with straining out the gnat. You don't want a bug in your drink, that's fine. But what they're doing is they've got a camel sitting in their cup. Right? You see the picture? It's like trying to drink with a camel in your cup, an unclean animal. You pay attention to the little things, but you're missing the big stuff. Don't major on the minors and minor on the majors. That's malignant religion. It leads to unflourishing. It leads to withering. It leads to hurting people. It leads to hurting yourself. It leads to woe. Instead, love and pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. King Jesus did. And he invites us to follow him.